0: If you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Lamentations. We're continuing our series in the major prophets this summer. We did our last one in Jeremiah last week. And normally we do an overview and then a couple representative ones. But for this one, we're just doing one. It's just today. Um, So next week, um, Jimmy Beavers will be up with the overview of Ezekiel, We're looking forward to that, but today we're in the book of Lamentations, and we won't have a typical uh, scripture reading today, but you can turn to Lamentations 3. That's where we're going to pull most of the quotes that we'll use uh, for this morning, Uh, but before we jump in, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you sometimes not even knowing uh, how to come to you and how to pray. And for the one who's walked in today and is in that spot, Lord, would you meet with them by your Spirit today? For others who come in, like, lamentations, why would we even bother with a book so sad? Um, Would you give those uh, some pause to stop, to see how broken things really are and how important it is that you have made and you will keep your promises. And so for all of us, whether we come burdened with the weight of the world, generally burdened with the weight of our own sin, would you help us maybe to gain a new category today for how to talk with you and then what to do with the weight that we feel? And so would you work I can't do that. Spirit, would you do that for your glory? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as with all of these overview sermons, we start with the basics. So that's what we're going to do first before we get into talking about lament and how that should work in our lives today. So, basics. First, author, Jeremiah, maybe. We don't know for sure who wrote Lamentations. Even its placement in our English Bible has a lot to do with the thought, the assumption that Jeremiah is the author. So I'm not trying to undercut uh, the authorship of (laughs) Lamentations in any way. Um, Traditionally, it's Jeremiah, and that has been a tradition for a really long time, um, all the way to when... Uh, some words were being written about the Old Testament. It's like, yeah, this was Jeremiah. This is you know a few centuries later. And then when the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament was written, they're like, yep, this is Jeremiah. So that's what tradition says. Uh, also, the... A content helps us think that it could be Jeremiah. The text never says that. So like in many of the other books we're looking at this summer, it's like the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. We're like, I wonder who this is by, right? Now there are people who might question that, but we're going to take God's word at his word and say, okay, that is Isaiah. The text itself never says that he wrote it, but whether it was Jeremiah or not, it was certainly written by an eyewitness to the brutal siege and destruction of Jerusalem, Also, the theological content of the book lines up really well, uh, particularly regarding uh, what Jerusalem's destruction and the temple's destruction meant, that it was God's judgment because of Israel's... Sin certainly fits with the theology of Jeremiah as well as the theology of Deuteronomy that had in the explication of the Old Covenant the the blessings and the curses, the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience, and that they wouldn't be in the land long if they kept on disobeying. And that's what we see happen. That's what's being lamented. That's the moment that's being lamented here in Lamentation. So Jeremiah, maybe, date... After 586 BC, because that's when Jerusalem fell. That's when the city was destroyed. The wall was destroyed. The temple itself was destroyed. This marked the end of the kingdom of Judah, and with it, seemingly, God's promises and his blessing. Sorry, I got unhooked a little bit here. There we go. That will work better. All right. So that's the date, sometime after 586 B.C., most likely quite soon after 586 B.C. Genre. It's another one of those big words that you kids are, it's not that long, right? But it's one of those words we don't hear a whole lot that the kids are totally comfortable with by now because this is already our third book that we're looking at. So genre is just like the, the style, the type, what we see. And what we see in this book is five poems of lament. So Lamentations is not a straight-through book, just like many of the the major prophets we've been looking at so far. They're not just straight-through. It's like, let me write chapter one. Oh, how will it work really well with chapter two? I'll write another chapter. That's not how Lamentations works. It's five separate poems. Now, there there is an order to it, uh, so it's not random. In fact, Lamentations is anything but random. You might think, especially as you read through it, perhaps if you're reading along with us, and so Lamentations is this week for you after this sermon, these five chapters. As you're reading it, it's like, whoa, there's some really bad stuff in here. Infant children just being left out to die because their mothers can't even think about caring for them because of how bad things are in the city even cannibalism is referenced here in Lamentations, because it's so bad, and this is what people have resorted to in trying to preserve themselves. They're willing to kill and eat their own children. It's crazy, right? The situation must have been really bad to put people in that sort of a situation, and there's all sorts of descriptions, very descriptive language of of the destruction, the devastation that God's people felt at receiving his judgment, at the blows that were dealt to them by the Babylonians. The lament here is deep and real. And you might think with how bad that is, it's just this kind of wild cry. And in some ways to us in English, it almost feels like that. It's like thing after thing after thing. Oh no, oh no, oh no. My eyes are, are just flowing with tears and I can't stop crying because of what has happened. The lament here is deep and real, but it is also extremely well-ordered. Depending on what English translation you use, and how it's arranged, your Bible may have a Hebrew letter at the head of almost every verse of Lamentations. If it doesn't, you should feel cheated. Actually, pretty much everyone who's using the US ESV will not have that. Um, the thing that I'm using for my like, just daily reading is the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, and they have that in there, and it's like, wow, that's so helpful, because actually the first four poems are acrostic poems. Now your ESV does this for Psalm 119. That's the most well-known acrostic poem in the Bible. And that might be another little bit of a big word for the kids, but I think you know what I'm talking about. So in Psalm 119, we'll start there because that's one with which we're most familiar. Psalm 119 is actually kind of 22 stanzas of one really long poem. Have you ever wondered, like, Psalm 19, why is it so long? Why 176 verses? That's a lot. That guy had a lot to say about the Bible and how much he loved it. And that's true. But he also wanted to say it in a really memorable way. So it's 176 verses because that is 22 times 8. And there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. How many letters are in our English alphabet? 26, very good. So if we were writing Lamentations, chapter 1, like if you take a look at it, even if you turn to chapter 3, you can see the end of chapter 2, it's verse 22. You look at chapter 1, it ends at verse 22. You look at the end of chapter 4, it ends at verse 22. Chapter 5 even has 22 verses, even though it's not an acrostic, it's written to be close. So in Psalm 119, there are eight verses in each stanza. And each one of those verses starts with the same letter, that corresponding letter of the alphabet. So like for us, verses 1 through 8 of Psalm 119 would all start with A. And then verses 9 through 16 would all start with B. And that's similar here. So verse 1 in chapters 1, 2, and 4 starts with A. And then verse 2 is with B. Verse 3 is C. And so on. That gets really hard after a while. Making sure we can start the words with the right letters and still have it say what we want to say and make sense. So this isn't just somebody like, oh, it really hurts, it really hurts, it really hurts, it really hurts, it really hurts. I mean, those all start with I, but that would only take care of one of the letters. So it's not just this, oh, that's certainly present, but it's also well-ordered. It's meant for people actually to be able to remember. It's meant for people to be able to see what's happening there, kind of like children's books that teach by having each page be the A, B, C. And we even have some uh, storybooks for children to teach the Bible that use that method, right? We have to cheat a little bit on X usually because there aren't very many words that start with X. Um, Certainly not very many words we'd use in trying to teach children the Bible that start with X. And so that's what's going on here. Now, chapter three is a little different. It has three verses for each letter. And so that's where, if it was divided up, that way you'd see it. Kind of like in um, Psalm 119, it's eight. In chapter three, it's three verses per letter. And that's why chapter three has 66 verses in it. Okay? So it's a lament, it's a protest, it's a cry, it's deep and real, but it's also extremely well ordered. It's not off the cuff. It's not spur the moment. It's meant to express something, and it's meant for God's people to read it, and to, to feel it, and to learn to respond the way these poems end up responding for all time. These five separate poems are all variations on a theme of God's righteous judgment on Jerusalem, the absolute devastation of the city and of the people, and ultimately hope that God is not done, that his steadfast love never ceases. It's hope in God's unfailing love and his daily mercies. So it's poems of lament. Last, it almost feels wrong to have a fun fact about Lamentations, but we're going to do it anyway. Fun fact, Lamentations is not technically a major prophet. Technically, it's not a prophet at all. You're like, why are we doing this today? That is a very good question. In the Hebrew arrangement of the Old Testament, called the Tanakh, Lamentations is not Beside Jeremiah. It's included with what's known as the writings, the the ones we would think of as the wisdom books, like Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, books like that. It's with them at the end of the Old Testament. But in our English Bibles, it's included with Jeremiah based on its traditional association with him and with its content relating so closely to the destruction of Jerusalem. So you could quibble and say, this shouldn't be in this series, and you technically wouldn't be wrong. But it also fits really well, and in the way English speakers handle it, it's not really thought of as a wisdom book the same way. So here we are today. Looking at Lamentations. That's the fun fact. In the series on the major prophets, we're doing a book that isn't a prophet at all. All the other ones name the prophet and talk about things that he did and things that he said. And there's none of that here. It's just these five poems of lament. Lamentations is meant to help us know what to do when we feel like this. Look at chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Have you ever found yourself in a place like that? When we talk about the extreme nature of this book. That's what we're talking about. Is it okay even to talk like this? My soul's bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. There's nothing wrong with saying that because it's true. It's true. It's where the author really is. It feels like he has no endurance left. And his hope in the Lord feels gone. There can be lots of different ways we get to a place like this. Whether it's what's going on all around the world with wars with rumors of wars maybe it's what's going on in our own city with murders and rumors of murders maybe it's what's going on in our nation and kind of whichever side of political divides you find yourself on if you care deeply about what's going on in our nation you tend to think this is not going well And we can lose hope. What are we even doing? Why should we even try? Or maybe it's much closer to home. Even though the city's close and national things affect us and, I mean, even things that go on in Europe affect us here. But maybe it's a lot closer to home even than any of those things. Maybe it's something in your own family, a loss that you have dealt with recently or maybe a long time ago that hasn't really been dealt with. Maybe it is a strained relationship with someone who's still living. You say, I wish that were different, but we, we I can't do anything about that. I have no hope. Perhaps it's yourself. Danny mentioned this earlier, looking at Psalm 130. It's like, I did that again. It's like, God certainly can't accept me after all this. There's no way I can be right with him for real. I've lost hope. Following Jesus is too hard. I feel like my endurance is about to give out. There are lots of different ways we can get here. But the solution for our hearts is the same. There might be some different steps that we take and things that happen along the way, but the solution for our hearts is the same, and it's found here in the book of Lamentations. And so the big idea this morning is this. When we face difficulty, sorrow, and loss, we should talk with the Lord about it. Honestly, humbly, and hopefully. When we face difficulty, sorrow, and loss, we should talk with the Lord about it honestly, humbly, and hopefully. Because even in judgment, which is what was going on in Lamentations, it was the reason for the trouble in Lamentations, even in judgment, the Lord is merciful. And so it is right To bring our laments to the Lord who loves us. And so part of what we want to do this morning is kind of make room for lament. To say it's right to cry out to God. Because we live in a culture that tries to push down or ignore difficulty, sorrow, and loss. Even as it's all over the news. Right? And for some, maybe you're not even aware of any trouble in your own life or in the world. And so, that lamentation says there's real problems. There's real problems. And we need, to some degree, to feel them. For probably more than are in that first category, perhaps you're all too aware and even overwhelmed by personal difficulty, sorrow, and loss, along with all that's going on in our city, our nation, and the world. Because when it's on the news, it's like nothing at all can be done, right? It's reported on, and then it's on to the next story, which is just as bad as the last. Does it ever feel that way watching the news? You just stop, right? And it's like, well, but that's not the answer either. To say, well, I'll just live our own lives and have no idea what's going on out there. And so one of the things that we do, even if we do watch the news after that, What do we do? It's on to whatever movies, shows, games, or whatever else will numb us to the pain, our own pain, and the pain around us just a bit. Lamentations gives us a language, a pattern, and approach what to do with our troubles, our own personal troubles, the troubles of our family, of our city, of our nation, and of our world. But... That same wrong approach that everything should be positive, that everything should be good news, essentially ignoring reality, is found in the church too. Now the church in other parts of the world is really good at lament because of what they're facing day by day because of their faith in Jesus. But particularly in America Lament, it doesn't really sell, right? It's not cool. It's not happy. Um, it's not moving us on to the next great thing, right? Every ad that comes at you is how you can be great, happy, healthy, how you can just move on and be, become your best self immediately. And that kind of good news that is the good news of our American culture, which ultimately, if you've tried it for very long, you know it's not actually good news. But that good news sometimes has seeped in and become the good news that the church tries to. To preach, there was a song that I learned in high school for like a high school choir that we would sing. And it wasn't meant to be the sum of theology, so I'm not trying to trash the church that I was in in high school. But we sang this song I'm happy in the Lord anyway, and it really doesn't matter what comes my way today. I'll wear a smile, I'll I'll hold my head up high, wear a smile, and say, I'm happy in the Lord anyway. And we would sing that. And it's this like, I'm happy in the Lord anyway, and it really doesn't matter what comes my way today. But if you live long enough, it does matter what comes your way today. Right? You can't just wear a smile, hold my head up high, and say, I'm happy in the Lord anyway. It sounds neat we can go through deep loss, that sounds awful. But it can feel like that's what we have to do when we come through the doors of the church. Do you ever feel that? It's like, well, we're here to praise Jesus. So if I'm not good, I shouldn't come today. If I'm not ready to face everybody and smile and be like, yeah, I'm doing great, I don't belong at church. Lamentation says when you're struggling, that's the time the most you need to come to church. Not because there's anything magical that happens in this building, but because this is where God's people gather. And we're meant not just to say, well, pray for you, I hope it gets better. Smile. But to listen. And as Richie said a few moments ago, to weep with those who weep. Even as we, in this new covenant, rejoice with those who rejoice. We shouldn't, when we come through these doors, feel pressure to say, everything is fine, I'm fine, everything is fine, I'm good, and put on that smile. And by God's grace, we want to develop relationships that are close enough in the church that we can tell and that are close enough that that people will say, okay, I see that. (laughs) How are you doing really? Because that wasn't very convincing. (laughs) I'm grateful that I've had friends here who've done that for me and I've gotten to do that for others. It's like, I'm fine, but no, you're not. What's going on? We want to bear that with one another. Lamentations teaches us what to do with our troubles. It teaches us to take our troubles to the Lord. When we face sorrow, difficulty, and loss, that's not when we retreat till we can figure it out. And I've had people tell me this, who are struggling, who've gone through loss. Well, I need to get myself together, and then I can come back to church. This is not the place for people who have it together, because none of us do. Now, there are times different ones are in different places, and that's part of what helps. People come in encouraged, excited, eager. Others come in sad, discouraged, maybe even fearful about what's going to happen on a Sunday. And so we want to move toward one another in Love. It's not the time to pull back. It's the time to move in. And especially it's not the time to pull back from the Lord. It's the time to move in. Lamentations tells us, teaches us to take our troubles to the Lord. We don't need to hold it in and just keep a stiff upper lip because God's in control, even though he is. But we can think that way. Well, if God's sovereign and God ordered this and ordained this, so like, I just got to smile. I got to keep it up stiff upper lip. This is what we do. We're stoic. We're tough. We are not stoics for lots of reasons. Josh can tell you all about that. And we are not tough. <laughs> that, that's not our call. Yes, ultimately, in a sense, we're called to be tough and persevere, but not in this, like, I've got it kind of way. We don't got it. And so he so, well, that's not my problem. I'm good at complaining. Okay. But we don't just complain to God and others. Because there are some, even some young ones, right? It's like we're quick to complain. This isn't the way I want it. It isn't the way it should be. And we tell our siblings that. We tell our parents that. But the Lord wants us to come to him with the biggest things and the smallest things. We can talk to God about it, about anything. And we talk to Him for real. That's what that first word is, honestly. We can talk with the Lord honestly. Tell Him what's really happening. Tell Him what's really happening in your heart, even if that's a really ugly thing and you feel like, that's a bad thing, that's a wrong thing that I should feel. Bring that to Him and ask Him to help you. Ask him to change you. Tell him what's really going on. There are many examples of this in the Psalms. There's a really extended example of this in Job, and of course, also here in Lamentations. Tell the Lord what's really happening, speak to him honestly. Do you know anyone who has a prayer voice? Like, they have their regular voice. That's how they talk to you and me. And then when they talk to God, it's, like, different. Anybody? I'm the only person who knows people like that. I see, okay, I see a couple smiles out there that say, yes, I know what you're talking about. Okay, yes, thank you. I feel like I understood what was going on there then. Much better. <laughs> what am I talking about? So they talk to us normally, and then it's like, oh. <gasps> Oh, God, we love you so much. We're so thankful. Stop that. God, right? This would never happen with moms, like, trying to pray with your children (laughs) during the day, right? Or dads trying to lead the family before the Lord. And it's like, (laughs) and Lord, we thank you. Right? And we act like God needs this special voice from us that's our holy voice, that's our worship voice, that's our God-I'm-talking-to-you voice. But God wants us to talk to Him for real. Sometimes the right prayer is a cry. Sometimes the right prayer, according to Romans 8, is the Spirit groaning for us because we don't even have the words to say. That's hard, but good and right. We can come to the Lord honestly. Lord, I'm having a hard time because I do see you as sovereign and this feels wrong. It's not what I want. It's not even what I think would align with your will. And I'm struggling. Come to the Lord with those prayers. He loves to hear them. And he loves to meet with us there. Talk to him Honestly, As you read through Lamentations, you'll find lots of honest talk to God. Kind of like the my soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. You'll find a lot of language like that in Lamentations. We talk to him honestly. God doesn't want a prayer voice. He wants us before him. So talk to him honestly, but also talk to him honestly. Humbly, We talk to him honestly, telling him what we're really thinking, what we're really feeling, but we also come with humility. And this means at least two things. It means we come to him under his sovereign hand. He really is in control of all things, even the very worst things that happen to us. And that's difficult for us to understand. I don't understand that completely, how all that works. It's difficult for us in certain moments to accept It is also the clear teaching of God's word. And it is what is happening in Lamentations. And it's clear in that one that it's because of God's judgment. He spent all his anger on us. He's against us at every turn. And it's because he was. So we talk to him humbly, recognizing we're under his sovereign hand. That's one aspect of it. The other is the humility that says, I don't think this hardship is because of sin. We don't need to try to trace. Like if you're sick, it's like, oh, it's because I said that unkind word last week, right? You, it's like the instant karma kind of stuff you see on the internet, right? It's like, those are funny, but that's not usually how God works. But as we face trouble, it may not be directly because of our sin. Lamentations teaches us, though, to... Confess sin. Even the laments that we sang together today were, a, Have mercy on me. There's no point where we stop needing God's mercy. We need His mercy every day. And the good news of Lamentations is that His mercies are new every morning. We confess sin both personally and corporately. We can't hide our sin from Him anyway, right? Lamentations also teaches us not only to confess our sin, but to repent of it, to turn from it. It's not just like, you know, I hit my sister. Oh, sorry, hit her again. Sorry, 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 sorry. There's a really, really old Zorro movie where the, the friar, as they finally have the final battle, he's got like a stick or something. He's bonking people on the head. And of course, one bonk and they're all knocked out. Um which I don't think is how that works, but I don't know. Maybe it was a really, really good stick. But it was like, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. It's like, okay. So that's not what we want to do with confession and repentance, right? We, we do something. We realize the wrongness of it. We realize the offense toward God that it is, and we turn from it. He was like, God, forgive me, as he's hitting people on the head repentance would be stopping if that is indeed sin we will stumble and fall and so we will end up doing the same things but we don't do it thinking well God'll forgive me afterward there's a desire to turn from it we see that most clearly in lamentations here in chapter 3 in verses 40 to 42 And speaking of all that has happened and the Lord is the one who commanded it, this is what's going on. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. We should come to him. Let us, when we face trials, when we face Sorrows when we face loss. It's not necessarily punishment for our sin, but it's a time to remember the brokenness that has entered this world because of sin and to test and examine our own hearts and confess sin with a desire to turn from it and have a restored relationship with God. And lament may be personal or corporate, most of Lamentations consists of personal protest par- prayers, but chapter 5 is corporate. It changes from I, I, I to we and us. We even saw some of that here in chapter 3 as the single author is trying to exhort the people, this is what we should do. We should examine ourselves. We have transgressed and rebelled. An example of corporate lament is some of what we were doing today, but also what we do on Good Friday. We lament together over our sin that necessitated the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. On that same night, we also rejoice that Christ willingly gave his life for ours so that we could share in his life forever. So we talk with God honestly, We tell him what's really happening. We talk with him humbly under his sovereign hand and confessing our sin, and we talk with God hopefully. We talk with God hopefully. And by that, I don't mean, you know, hopefully we talk with God. All right, it's like, hopefully that's one of our options. It's like, no, we talk to God with hope, expressing our trust in him. That's what ultimately happens in lamentations. That's what happens consistently through the laments in the Psalms, and what ultimately happens in Job. We plead his promises. And this is a little different for us under the new covenant because we have new and better promises and we have the new and living way to come to God through Jesus, through his own body sacrifice for us. But even in the Old Testament, we see these expressions of trust in God, of hope in God. We can talk with God, hopefully, about our troubles. And so let's read now. We read 17 and 18 in chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 19 and several verses after that. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. That's all the bad stuff. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly. For the salvation of the Lord. Skip down to verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. In the middle of that passage are the kinds of verses that get put up on walls, right? Or on plaques. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow, this is good stuff. And it is. And it's even better when you know what it means to be in the middle of lamentations. Right? Usually the farthest we get with that is just like, yeah, that's the reference. That's where those cool verses are. But those cool verses are the last thread of hope that the poet is hanging on to. It's not like I wake up in the morning. It's a beautiful day. Everything's going my way. Clearly, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's how we can tend to think, right? It's like when everything's going the way that I think it should, when we get the business deal, when we, when we get the job, when our kids are healthy and strong, when we get the good report from the doctor, when we get the surprise money in the mail. I don't know when that happens. That's just one that I made up. When everything's going the way that we think it should, then it's like, oh, God, you're so good. I worship you. You're blessing me. You're doing what I want. It's like, wait, when we say it out loud like that, we start to realize. But then when it's not what we want, and sometimes we're not so bad as all that, right? Sometimes it's like we have really good desires. We have things that are like, Lord, this would honor you if it turned out this way. Whether it's in broken relationships, whether it's with our children, whether it's with a coworker that we want to come to know Christ, like, Lord, it would honor you. And that's what I'm praying for. And it's still not happening. It's in the moments where everything's going well for us that we think the Lord's blessing us. And when things are not going the way we think they should, even according to what we know of God's word, that's when we struggle. And when it's like, well, I can't pray today. We feel far off. It feels like God is far off. That's when we come to Him with our laments. We plead His promises. These verses mean so much more when we see they're in the middle of this massive cry to God from the depths of despair. When it seems like all hope is. Is gone, Right? Those verses 17 and 18 are right before this. It's like, I don't have any hope anymore from the Lord. But this is what I remember. All right? So my circumstances tell me there's no reason to hope in the Lord. Because there's no shot. There's no shot. But this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Doesn't look like it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Nothing's changed yet. His mercies are new every morning. I don't feel it. Great is your faithfulness. These are verses not for when things are going our way, but for when everything's going wrong. Their power is not in how they match with our reality. Their power is how they speak to us the true reality when our circumstances tell us lies about who God is. Indeed, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Here, even in the midst of his judgment, and especially because of what Jesus has done for us, it never ceases for us either. We talk to God honestly, humbly, and hopefully. And the goal of all this, as we sang together earlier, is restored relationship with God. It's not just, Lord, I need the pain to stop, though it really would be nice. Lord, I need the clean bill of health, though that would be great. Lord, I need you. We can talk to God about our problems honestly, humbly, and hopefully with this goal of restored relationship with Him. And that's ultimately what they pray for at the very end of the last poem here. Lamentations 5, verses 19 through 22. After again recounting how bad things have been, the destruction, their loss, how they're feeling about it. Verse 18, just so we have a little context, right? This, our heart has become sick. And for these things that we've all described, our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored Renew our days of old unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. And the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is that he does not remain angry with us. When we come to him asking for restoration, he will indeed restore us. So how is lament transformed in Christ? It's still true that we talk to God honestly, humbly, and hopefully. And because of Jesus, we know that God is not angry with us forever. And so ultimately, lament leads to praise. And even here it does. Lament is important. And this is a category that maybe some of us have have missed or not felt, or we've felt things that really should have led toward lament, and we didn't know what to do with it. And now it's like, okay, I have this category. This is good. Lament is good, and it's necessary, especially while we continue to live in this broken world. But it is not ultimate. Lament is a place that every one of us will visit. It is not a place we are meant to stay. We may stay there for a while, but we will not stay there forever. And the good news is that in Jesus, we can't, because lament surely will turn to praise when he comes again. The cry of lamentations in Lamentations 5.15 is, The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning, but the promise of the new covenant in jeremiah thirty one thirteen is I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. He can give us gladness for sorrow because Jesus has taken our sorrows. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. On the cross, even in this life, he was known as the man of sorrows. We're told in Hebrews 5-7 that he prayed to the Lord with loud cries and tears. If Jesus, who knew exactly what he came to do and knew what he would suffer and knew the presence of the Father and the Spirit in his life, could pray to the Lord in his days with loud cries and tears, how much more are there going to be moments For us, where that's exactly the right thing to do. To pray to the Lord with loud cries and tears. And then to come alongside one another, even if we're not going through the exact same thing, or we don't feel that thing in the world exactly the same way, to come alongside and weep with those who weep, even as we rejoice with those who rejoice. There is a lot that's broken in this world, in ourselves, in our families, in our city in our nation. And so we lament in this age, individually and together. But we do it with hope because it can't stay this way forever. One day when Jesus comes again, brings in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more sadness, no more pain, no more loss, nothing left to lament. There will be one day only praise around the Lord's throne. And so, with the saints of all ages, we pray, How long, O Lord? When we face difficulty, sorrow, and loss, we should talk to the Lord about it, honestly, humbly, and hopefully. Mourn what is lost, confess known sin, and pray in hope because of God's unceasing love, His unfailing mercy, and His sovereignty in all circumstances. And ultimately, take comfort in Christ the salvation he has accomplished for us, and the promise of hope forever that we have in him. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you have given us a book like this, a record of the cries, the tears of your people. Would you help us where we Bottle things up, or think we have to take care of it on our own, or get ourselves together before we can come to you. Would you help us, on the authority of your word, to move to you, to come to you, to ask you for forgiveness, to ask you for restored relationship? And would you help us, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to come alongside one another? That we would be wise in how we deal with one another how we talk with one another, how we encourage one another, that it wouldn't just be trite or flippant, but that it would be real and deep and filled with hope in your promises. We thank you that all your promises have found their yes and will find their yes in Jesus. So would you help us to talk to you about everything, not just what we think you want to hear, not just... uh, how we think things ought to be, but honestly, humbly, and hopefully. And would you draw near to us? Would you restore us, even as we wait for Jesus to come and restore all things? It's in his name that we pray. Amen.